listening to The Potato Podcast, presented by Columbia Media Group. You can listen to past episodes on thepotatopodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you enjoy the episode, be sure to give us a like and leave a review. This episode is sponsored by Syngenta Elatus. Protect the perimeter of your potato crop with Elatus fungicide from Syngenta. When applied in furrow at planting, Elatus controls rhizoctonia and suppresses verticillium wilt, giving your potatoes long-lasting protection during early development. Talk to your local Syngenta retailer about Elatus. Always read and follow label instructions. Please check with your local extension service to ensure registration status. Syngenta supports a FIFA 2 E recommendation for suppression of verticillium wilt on potatoes in certain states. Hello listeners, thank you for joining the Potato Podcast. Today we're excited to be talking with Michelle Payne. Michelle is a certified professional speaker and author of three books. She was raised on a dairy farm and has a passion for agriculture. Her website, causematters.com, aims to grow the consumer's understanding between farming and food. Michelle has appeared on numerous TV and radio shows, videos, and podcasts. Her latest book will debut November 5th and is called Food Bullying. Hello, Michelle. Thank you for joining the Potato Podcast today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk with you, and, and I always love working with onion and potato people and all sorts of produce folks out there. So hello to everyone that I have met at the various conferences. Awesome. Thank you. So let's start with um, a synopsis of your new book, uh, Food Bullying, that comes out November 5th. What is food bullying, and why is it important for growers to understand it? Food bullying removes choice. And when I say that food bullying removes choice, it removes choice not only in the grocery store and in restaurants, but also in farms. So when you take a look back and you consider the products that you're no longer allowed to use, whether it would be a specific fungicide, pesticide, or herbicide, when you consider some of the regulations that are in place and um, and you look at the choices that have been removed from the farm, that really means that you are suffering the consequences of food bullying. And it really uh, takes a look at it at taking advantage of fear. And we all know a lot of people have fear in food today. And so that's really why I decided to write the book was to get to the bottom of why we have all this confusion, guilt, and shame associated with the way we eat. So confusion, guilt, and shame, um, just because of the different societal type of limitations or Tell me about that. Well, I think it's it's interesting because since this is my third book, clearly I've, I've done a fair amount of research in the area, and it's interesting to step back and take a look at the neuroscience and the psychology. And before I lose everyone, what that basically means is that our brains have been manipulated and our perceptions around food and farming. Um, there's been some really interesting neuroscience studies that have done and how people receive information about food and what their brains do with that. And unfortunately for every grower out there, there's a negative consequence for you because when people don't understand or trust the technology, for example, 
they don't trust the product and as such they will buy into the labels if you look at the typical grocery store today there's around 40,000 different products in a store uh, by my estimation if you look at five claims on every product that equates to 200,000 claims that people have to sort through and clearly if you've never grown a potato if you've never planted an onion or if in my case if you've never birthed a calf you don't know what that's like. You don't know why we're doing what we are doing on the farm. And so there's a fear because you don't trust what you don't know. And typically you fear what you don't trust. And then that's where the bullies come in and try to really leverage that fear. So when you look at, for example, the non-GMO label on products that have no GMO options whatsoever, or in the meat case, when you look at the antibiotic-free label, when in fact the same for all of the different uh, products that are sold under the USDA seals. So there's just a, a lot of misinformation out there that I think has built into confusion, coupled with the fact that psychologically we have this need to feel good about our food, to create this beautiful story about food and have Charlotte's Web and all of those nice images that we want to have. And it's it's resulted in guilt because people feel guilty that they're buying the wrong food for their family. And unfortunately, that's hurting all of us because they don't feel good about food anymore. So how do, um, how do we go about creating that Charlotte's Web warm and fuzzy feeling? You've, you've, um, I've heard you tell farmers to provide consumers with concise and accurate information about agriculture and expand their knowledge base. How do they, how do, they do that? How, give, give us some um, ideas on how growers can go about that. Well, to be clear, I don't know that we need to be promoting the Charlotte's Web image. I think we need to be truthful and transparent. And transparent is a really tough term because it's one that's overused and really I think a lot of people don't understand. Transparency to me, um, and this comes from my book Food Truth, uh, transparency is about providing truth in food production. It's about helping people understand why you do what you do on the farm. Why is it that you're using chemicals? I mean, we all know you can't grow vegetables without some sort of intervention against bugs and weeds and so forth. So the challenge is, is helping people understand it from their perspective. We know that only 1.5% of the United States population is on a farm or ranch. We know that people are three to four generations removed. That means that we should also know that we're in the minority and that we're not normal. And I say that a little tongue-in-cheek. But what I really try to encourage uh, growers to do is to get out there and talk with consumers. Understand that they're not attacking you personally when they're asking questions. They simply want to know that they're making the right decision for their family. So, for example, if somebody asks you, well, are you organic and you're not, that doesn't mean you need to get up in arms. That simply means that you need to explain why you make the growing decisions that you do on your farm. And I always suggest that we all take a step back, myself included, and really listen and listen and look and watch for what it is that people are interested in, what it is that excites them. I call them hot buttons. Other people call them values. But basically, it's a point of relation. So if you're in a conversation personally, let's say with somebody in your church parking lot or somebody that you go to breakfast with and they have vastly different views on how you should be farming, 
Don't start talking about chemicals and GMOs and sustainability and other con- contentious issues. Find that hot button, whether it would be sports, their kids, their family, whatever it may be, where you can relate to them on a human level. Because we have a tendency in agriculture to dump data and uh, puke science on people's shoes. And people don't want that. They want the feel-good story. And that gets back to the Charlotte Webs that we had started about, Dave. And, and I'm not suggesting anybody paints some pretty picture and puts pretty pictures on the packages of food that we produce. But I am suggesting that you share a very real look at what agriculture looks like to you and your family and why you're involved with it. But make it relate to the person that you're talking to. Okay. Um, well, you mentioned um, GMOs briefly and you know there's consumers perceptions are shifting Um, they want to know about organic versus non-organic GMOs clean eating that kind of thing Uh, you've done a lot of research where do you see this going and in what's happening there (laughs) that's a big big unended (laughs) exactly You know, I think when you look at what happened to potatoes and um, there's clearly the CRISPR technology happening with mushrooms and with apples, there's a lot of opportunity. It's amazing technology. The precision that they can use now um, really is mind-blowing when you get down into the depths of it. But we have the problem that people don't understand science. You look at the studies out there and what is it, 70, 80% of people think that food should be labeled if it has DNA in it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's problematic. How how can we explain genetic modification, CRISPR technology, transgenics, even genomics on the animal side? How can we explain that to a group that doesn't necessarily get science? So what I always try to do is take a step back and relate it again from their terms. I typically will talk about insulin. Uh, Once I've had a conversation with somebody and developed some sort of connection with them, then I will start talking about the advantages of insulin uh, being a genetically modified product or being from genetically modified bacteria. And so that kind of breaks down the barriers and that puts it on more neutral ground where it's not farm versus food. But really, it's just a human talking to a human. And I think that's the goal that we should all have, frankly. So what is the uh, story with the insulin? Uh, So the story with the insulin, what I typically do, particularly with dietetic groups, is um, I have a number of dietitians confront me about GMOs. And so I will simply ask, do you have anybody who's diabetic in your life? Most of us do. My daughter's godfather is superiorly diabetic. And I will say... I think he deserves to have the most consistent supply of insulin available, don't you? And most people agree with that. And I simply point out the fact that insulin today is produced from bacteria uh, that were genetically modified and that it has allowed us to have a much more stable um, and less allergen because the insulin that were produced previously were obviously from animals. Um, And so there's, there's fewer allergens, so people have less reactions. And that's exactly the way that I frame it with them. And, and many people don't know that. Yeah. So 
you know, at the end of the day, I don't know that we have to determine whether GMOs are right or wrong. I think it gets back to protecting choice, and that choice should be on the food plate, and that choice should be on the farm. And as a Holstein breeder, I don't need someone telling me how to take care of my cattle. Just as I'm sure your listeners don't need people to tell them how to grow their food. And I think we need to be really careful that we're out there telling our story proactively so that we don't have issues like GMO arise again. Because there's no question whatsoever that, that our choices have been removed through regulation, through products being taken off the marketplace, and quite frankly, through false labeling. Um, and, and that's something that I, I find really upsetting for agriculture, and I would encourage your listeners to do something about. Yes. I, um, quick story. I, I saw, I think it was on the Jay Leno show once about people, they were doing street interviews and they were just asking people walking down an LA street, what, what do you think about GMOs? And they're like, well, we, no, they're no good. We can't, no, we don't like GMOs. Well, do you know what they are? Well, no, no. but I know they're no good. So yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. my favorite story on that. But again, we don't trust what we don't know. You know, that gets back to the, the first uh, step in the cycle of food bullying is you don't know it. So you're not going to trust it. If you don't trust it, you're going to be afraid of it. It's, it's a huge challenge for all of us in agriculture. Yes, for sure. We will be back to this episode in a moment after a quick production pointer with the Spud Doctor. As a bonus for listeners, we're doing production pointers with Dr. Karen Shetty, also known as the Spud Doctor. We have selected a listener question today. Dr. Shetty, what are some general storage tips you have for growers? We are in the early stages of the storage season at this moment, and uh, therefore there are some key observations and procedures to protect the quantity and the quality of the potato crop in storage. So how do you protect the quantity of the potatoes in storage? Quantity is largely determined by the weight of the potatoes you put into the storage. So we need to control the weight loss during storage. Weight loss is governed by the physics inside the storage as well as the chemistry inside the potato. Modern storages are well-equipped to regulate the temperature, the relative humidity, and the airflow inside the storage. All three are important and connected. In the early stages of the crop, it is extremely important that we superize and heal the wounds of harvest by carefully managing the temperature, the relative humidity, and the airflow. Weight loss can be minimized by, a prop, by proper superization. So how do you protect the quality of the stored crop by superization? By proper superization, we can minimize the weight loss inside the storage. Good superization and wound healing can minimize weight loss as well as the storage diseases that occur from time to time inside the storages. All right. Well, thank you for that tip today. And thank you for joining us, Dr. Shetty. And now back to the podcast. All right. I'm going to ask you to uh, pick up your crystal ball again and uh, maybe see, you know, we have a lot of millennials and Generation Z 
kids that are now taking over the family farm. Um, how are the, how are they going to stay successful with all these changing attitudes and perceptions? I think first that they are naturally more in tune with consumer perceptions because, you know, when I look back at the course of my business, I've been, I've been doing this for 18 plus years. Um, that's a lifetime for some of the Z's, right? You know, yes. the reality is agriculture advocacy is no longer a new concept. We know that a best business practice today is to be able to share what you're doing on the farm. Whether you're selling your products directly or not, it is a necessary evil because of the fact that people don't understand what you do. And if they don't know it, they don't trust it and they're going to be afraid of it. And as such, they're going to be bullied. So whether it's a millennial or a Z, I think that the future is quite bright. I mean, there there are tremendous tools out there to farm with in the future from a technological standpoint. And you look at the application and what can happen with some of the precision genetics. You look at drones. You look at, at all of the things that have um, been done with application. It's amazing. And so first, I would say that the future is very bright. But secondly... We have to figure out how to get more in touch with consumers. And because of social media, it's fairly obvious where the thoughts and the trends and the patterns are if you take the time to watch and listen. Uh, so when you, when you look at the changing face of agriculture, I will tell you honestly that I've seen a 55-year-old man probably do social media better than a 25-year-old guy. Not necessarily all the time, but I don't know that age really um, directs that. I, I think it's an interest in being able to use the new tools that are out there. And so when I look down the road for the, for the future, I would guess in 25 years from now, it's going to be a very different business. And what that looks like, I'm not sure that any of us know. I think there's going to be some cyclical changes. Um, as far as business size and as far as what's allowed and accepted by, by consumers. But I would challenge any of the newer generations, and I will never call you kids out of respect, but I would challenge any of the newer generations to stop and listen and learn, not only from consumers but also from the older generations. And likewise, spend some time teaching them too. Uh, it's, it's a great opportunity with the generation cycle that we have coming up in agriculture for us to do a better job of learning from each other. Very nice. Um, so do you have any parting advice for our listeners today? Anything that you would say that you haven't said that might help them along? I would say that if you love agriculture, if you love farming, whether you are in agribusiness or whether you're a grower. Uh, if, if you love any part of agriculture, go out and share your story today. It doesn't have to be a 30-minute lecture. It can be a five-minute exchange on Twitter. It could be uh, spending 10 minutes with somebody in a line that, talking about their food choices. But we have to be more proactive and less defensive and imparting the last thing that I would say is let's do a better job of not bullying each other in agriculture because I see many times that uh, farmers are bullies who make different choices. So those of you who, are, who farm organically, more power to you. Those of you who have tens of thousand acres, more power to you. Uh, small versus large, produce versus animal agriculture, it doesn't need to be a fight. Let's celebrate choice 
and make sure that we're doing a better job of sharing that choice with the people who are buying our products. Yes, very sound advice there. Um, well, Michelle, um, we are going to wrap it up here, and I want to thank you very much for coming on to the podcast today. Um, we will put uh, links on our website um, for causematters.com, and uh, I encourage listeners to check it out, maybe ch- pick up uh, one of Michelle's books as well. Thanks again for joining us. Well, thank you. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are for informational purposes only, and solely those of the podcast participants, contributors, and guests. We do not constitute an endorsement by or necessarily represent the views of Columbia Media Group or its affiliates.